0: We're continuing something that I started last week. Uh, The notes and the recordings for these will also be on our website eventually. And they're already. already. They're already. Okay. Today's recording isn't there yet because I haven't done it yet. All right. But I mean, we're on. We're on top of this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) We're basing this study a lot on. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and there's a verse in Ephesians 3, 11 that we saw last week where Paul refers to God's eternal purpose. And you know, so often we come to church or we even come to God, and I'm not saying this is totally wrong, but we usually come to God and we come to church with an attitude of What's in it for me? What, what is God going to give me today? And God has a lot to give us, don't get me wrong. We need a lot from God. But as we mature, I believe that needs to change from gimme, 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 to, Lord, what's on your heart? What do you want? What is your will? What is your purpose in all of this? And I believe God has placed something deep down inside of every man, woman, and child that wants to know, what is this all about? Really, what is it all about? I can remember as a small child laying in my bed long before I knew the Lord, wondering, what is this about? What is it all about? Well, I think God gives us some indication in this word as to what it's all about. And I'm not going to go over last week's message again, but very quickly, God is an eternal God. And therefore, He has an eternal purpose. Eternal means forever in the past and forever in the future. We often think it's just in the future. We came to Jesus to give us eternal life, but eternal has no beginning and has no end. So He who is from everlasting too everlasting, has a purpose. It's an eternal purpose. He didn't suddenly formulate it 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ is referred to in the book of Revelation as the Lamb slain before the creation of the world. That doesn't make any sense to the natural mind. But if you start to understand God is eternal, it does. And just as we can zoom out on a camera or even on a computer screen. We need to try to zoom out and get the bigger picture of what God's purpose for our lives is. And it's interesting that in the book of Ephesians, Paul shares some very deep things, and I'm not even going to pretend to tell you I understand all of them. But I don't know about you, even if I don't understand something in the Word, I love it. When I read it, I'm like, man, I don't have a clue what that talks about, but that's cool. God knows what He's talking about, and maybe one day He'll let me understand a little bit about this. We talked about this last week. Over and over in the book of Ephesians, you find two words, mystery and revelation. It talks about the mystery of God's will. And that doesn't mean it's something we need to try to figure out. It's something that has to be revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. Revelation in the Bible means an unveiling. So there's a curtain, there's a veil that has been over a lot of these truths for many, many centuries. But through Christ and through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and through the teachings that Paul and the other apostles left with the church, we can now receive revelation. God can pull back the drapes and begin to show us what's really on His heart. And by no coincidence, in Ephesians chapter 1, and here's where I want to begin with a prayer today, Paul prays for them to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation and that the eyes of their understanding, the eyes of their heart, would be enlightened. Turn with me to Ephesians 1, and we're going to read the verses leading up to to this a little bit later. But before he even gets deep into the eternal purpose of God, which is Christ and His Bride, that's the title of this little series, the eternal purpose of God, Christ and His Bride, before he gets into that, Profound mystery in Ephesians 5, he prays for the Ephesians. You know what that helps me with as a teacher? I can try to explain and expound and give one, two, three, four, five steps. After it's all done, I know nobody's going to understand anything unless God opens our eyes. And really, we're dependent on the Holy Spirit. Paul knew that. That's why he prayed this prayer. I don't know if we have it up there, but I'm going to go ahead and read here. He says in Ephesians 1.15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking. Say that with me. I keep asking. Not once. Not twice. I keep. Asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Eyes of your heart. Did you know your heart has eyes? Now you know that. That takes a revelation too. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. And I'm going to stop there. He goes on with his prayer. But to know the hope to which He has called you. In other words, if we're going to understand God's purpose for our life, we're going to need a revelation. Reading the Bible is good. Coming to the church is good. Listening to teachings is good. But after it's all said and done, Paul kept on asking, kept on praying, God, Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I want to pray that right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we know that our ability to see and to understand is very limited unless you, O God, open the eyes of our heart, open the eyes of our understanding. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come even now and enlighten us Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we can know Christ better, that we can understand the mystery of Your will, Your eternal purpose, better, O God. Let there be an opening of the eyes, an opening of the hearts, an opening of the ears, O God. And Lord, just as those disciples, their hearts burned when You opened the Scriptures to them. Lord, set our hearts ablaze with the fire of Your love as we understand this overwhelming purpose that you have for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen and amen. Now, I mentioned this last time and I want to go deeper into it today. By no coincidence, the first two chapters of the Bible are very strangely similar to the last two. (laughs) Isn't that weird? First two chapters, you have a paradise, no sin, no death, no sickness, you have a tree of life, you have a river of life, and you have a marriage between Adam and Eve. First two chapters of the Bible. Last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, you have a paradise. There's no more sin, no more death, no more crying, no more pain, no more sickness. You have a tree of life, you have a river of life, and you have a marriage. One marriage, one couple. It's Christ and His bride. I find that extremely interesting, profound, and important. And it has captivated my attention for years, but I find that in recent days I'm going deeper into it, and I'm understanding even a little bit more. God did this on purpose. The other other 1,185 chapters in between, it's not to say they're not important, but it's to get us from what was in the beginning to what is in the end. Because in the beginning, God showed His eternal purpose. It's to have a bride for His Son, Jesus Christ. And you may be thinking, what? You see all that in Genesis 2? Well, I probably wouldn't have if it weren't for the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit and the revelation that he received that he passed along to the Ephesian church. More about that later. Genesis. It says in chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God, right? But did you know there was something before the beginning? (laughs) Here's where the natural mind just starts to fizzle out. Because we are so used to time, beginnings, and end. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So that must mean there wasn't anything else before Genesis 1.1. Wrong. In the beginning, what was already there? God. When did God come on the scene? He didn't. He's outside of time. Time begins in Genesis 1-1. God doesn't. Nor does His eternal purpose. You see, we think God suddenly in Genesis 1-2, and He had to come up with a plan. No, 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 no. Long before Genesis 1-1, God had already formulated His eternal purpose. And this is why in the beginning, God already demonstrated what it's going to be in the very end. Amen. Because that's His eternal plan. To have a paradise. How many want a paradise? Oh, boy. Amen. Well, I guess the rest of you want to stay here in America for the rest of your life. I want to get out of here so bad. I'm not joking. I want to go to a place where there's no sin, no wickedness, no lying, no corruption, no sickness, no death. I want to go there. And there is a paradise. It gives me hope. It gives you hope. This isn't forever down here. This is going to pass. But God is preparing us for a paradise where there's no more pain, no more dying, no more sorrow, no more disappointment, no more shame, no more sickness. Hallelujah. Praise God for the paradise of God. Amen. But we got to understand how to get from where we are now to that place. And that's what the 1,185 chapters are all about in between the beginning and the end. All right. Let's go to Genesis 2 and look very quickly at what happens here. And the Holy Spirit is going to have to enlighten our eyes to see way beyond the surface of what we're reading here, as did the Apostle Paul. Genesis 2, we're going to pick it up around verse 7. Genesis 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust. That's important. Keep that in mind. Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. Eden means delight. This was just a delightful place. And there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon, it winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good, aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon, it winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris, it runs along the east side of the Asher. The fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, you will surely die. Now let's pause there. We see a tree of life. We see another tree which God makes a very clear commandment to Adam, don't eat it. Don't partake of that tree. He never said don't eat of the tree of life. (laughs) And there's a river of life flowing through this land of delight, perfect paradise. In verse 18 to 20, we see something very interesting that happens here. The Lord God said, this wasn't Adam going to God and complaining or praying or something. The Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now let's hold this here for a minute. Go back to that verse. I will make a helper suitable for him. This is important to understand And this may actually be a third part to this little study sometime in the future. In the New King James, and I think a couple of the other translations, and definitely in the Hebrew, you see this. What this really means is, I need to find someone comparable to him. You see, an ape, a monkey, an alligator, an elephant, Wouldn't do. They weren't like Adam. Because remember, Adam is not like any other creation. He's made in the image and likeness of God. No one else like Adam now in the garden, but God says we need someone suitable for him. Someone comparable to Adam. Keep reading. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. Out of the ground. Remember that? He brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable, no comparable mate or helper, was found. Okay? You know the story. So the Lord God... What a strange story. Now, just stop and understand something. There's nothing in the Scriptures by accident. God is a God of purpose. Everything He does, He does with a purpose. Mm -hmm. And every account in Scripture, it was done that way for a reason. Every detail is important. God could have easily formed a woman out of the dust. End of story. Make man, make woman, just like He did the rhinoceros. He made a male rhinoceros and a female rhinoceros. And He said, go and multiply. He could have done the same thing with man, but He didn't. Why? He's showing us something. The Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, He took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. What a strange story. Stranger than fiction. The Lord God made a woman from the rib He had taken out of the man and He brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman for she was taken out of the man pause underline that in double red ink unique in all of creation even her name indicates she didn't come from the earth like all of the other creatures she came out of the man are you with me Woman, she came out of the man. Bone of his bones, flesh of his flesh. Okay, keep going. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Two observations. All of this has happened before the fall. Chapter 3 is where sin enters into the picture. No sin yet. This is still a perfect, sinless paradise. God is revealing something of his eternal purpose. Long before sin entered in. Okay? So now we have a paradise, a tree of life, a river of life, and we have man and woman. We have the first Marriage, She uniquely being taken out of the man. All right? Tuck all that away for a few minutes. We're going to come back to it. But now let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. And Ephesians is unlike any of Paul's other letters. There is stuff in here, as I mentioned, that's very deep. It's way beyond me. But I read it and I get happy. <laughs> I read it and I say, Lord, I hope I can understand more of this one day. But for now, I'm going to take you at your word. And he just he dives right in, in the opening verses of chapter 1, with stuff that just blows our natural mind away. You know, we sang earlier today, I'm overwhelmed. If you if you read the book of Ephesians, and you don't come away feeling overwhelmed, you probably didn't read it right. Because there's some really profound things just in these opening verses. For example, let's start from verse 3. Ephesians 1, 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's nice. Fasten your seatbelts for verse 4. For he chose us in him before, say before? Before, before the creation of the world. Whoa. I thought God chose me in November 1974 when I got saved. Or whenever. I thought that's when He chose me. No. He chose us in Him before the creation of the world. Before Genesis 1.1. How many understand that? I don't. (laughs) I don't, except for one thing. Eve was in Adam. Is that right? She came out of Adam. Now I'm getting ahead of my story. You have to trust me for now, but I'm going to prove it very soon. Adam and Eve are a picture of Christ in the church. Christ and his bride. Just as Eve was in Adam and had to be taken out of him, different from all other creation, so Paul is writing to the Ephesian church saying, you were in Christ before anything began. We can argue with that and say, oh, that's impossible, da-da-da-da-da, but it's the Word of God. So we better just stand back and say, okay... I don't really understand that, but I'm going to believe it for now. He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Maybe Paul didn't choose his words right. No, he keeps emphasizing this. Verse 5, He predestined us. What's predestined mean? (laughs) It was worked out before you even had a chance to think about it. He predestined us to be adopted as as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. Emphasis throughout this whole thing is on His pleasure and will, not yours and mine. "...to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one He loves." Verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Here it comes. Here's one of these mystery verses. And He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Christ. Notice three words there. Will, pleasure, purpose. It's all about His will, His good pleasure, and His purpose. And it's all in Christ. It's all centered around Christ. He made known to us the mystery. Remember, mysteries are only made known through revelation. Okay, next verse. To be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. Now this is particularly interesting because it talks about time times. You have eternity. Remember last week we saw God inhabits eternity. We don't yet. We inhabit time. But God's eternal purpose, if you will, stepped into time. (laughs) And it's now going to be put into effect in time. When the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Again, it's all about Christ. In Him, in Christ, we were also chosen. Raise your hand if you're chosen. Amen. Amen. Chosen, here it is again, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. Stop right there. Look at the words. Predestined, plan, purpose, will. It's all about His eternal plan and purpose which is now being revealed Worked out in our lives and God is going to tie it all up soon in time in his church. Now, if, if Paul stopped there, we could sort of take the ultra-Calvinist view that it's already all been decided for me. It doesn't matter what I do. I don't need to preach. I don't need to do anything. Because God's already decided who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. Okay, That's an ultra-Calvinist view, which is very dangerous. But keep going. It balances out. In order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. Next two verses. And you also were included in Christ when... Say when. 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 When were we included in Christ? You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. How important is it for people to hear the gospel? Very important. They may have been predestined before the foundation of the world, but it's when they hear the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. And notice the next part. Having believed. It's those who believe that are truly included now in this plan and purpose. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Next verse. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You know, it's not either or. God has an eternal purpose, and you and I have to respond to God in repentance, in faith. We need to hear the Word of God preached, and we need to act upon it. That's not to take anything away from God's eternal purpose, nor does God's eternal purpose liberate us from any human responsibility. First words out of Jesus' mouth, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe. We need to do something to respond to this call. Okay? And as I mentioned, right after these profound words that we just read, in verse 15 is where Paul starts praying. He says, "Uh uh-oh, I think I better pray for you guys before we go any further with this. Because this is deep. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be... And then in chapter 3, we saw last week, he talks about God's eternal purpose. Now, we come to Ephesians 5. This is where it all comes together. Paul ties Genesis 2 together with God's eternal purpose. Okay? Let's go to Ephesians 5 and verse 22 onwards. Ephesians 5, 22. "'Wives, submit to your husbands.'" The husbands are like, "'Amen! Preach it, brother! Preach it. <laughs> "'Submit to your husbands as to the Lord.'" "'For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church.'" He's already into something here comparing marriage with Christ and the church, but it's going to get clearer a little further down. "'For the husband is the head of the wife just as Christ is the head of the church, His body, of which He is the Savior.'" Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Amen, brother, preach it, keep it up. Preach it, preach it. Uh-oh, husbands. Hmm. Now the wives are like, we want to hear this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Now this is making for a nice, you know, marriage seminar, nice uh, thoughts to share at a wedding, which I have done many, many times. That's not the main reason Paul's writing all this. His primary interest isn't just in helping the married couples in, in Ephesus. Follow me here. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ. He keeps doing this just as Christ and the church thing. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself, present her to himself, I'm getting ahead of myself, but Eve was brought to Adam, in a sense, she came out of him and then she was presented back to him, to present her to himself, As a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless, and, my words, like him. Suitable for him. Comparable to him. It gets better. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Still sounds like a nice marriage counseling kind of a thing. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Out of the blue, Paul quotes Genesis 2.24. The ending of our little marriage story after a woman was brought forth from Adam. Verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Wait a minute. That's a curveball. We weren't expecting that one, Paul. You're going along, Christ and the church, husbands, husbands, and wives, you know, love and submit, da-da-da-da-da, and all of a sudden, <laughs> quoting from Genesis 2. And if you understood the, the importance of what he just did, you'll understand this. This is a profound mystery. But I am not giving a marriage seminar. I am not giving some good words for a marriage ceremony. I am talking about Christ and the church. Period. I am talking about Christ and the church. God's eternal purpose. So, way back in Genesis 2, Paul is saying Christ and the church were already in God's mind. That's why he did it the way he did, because he was demonstrating something about Christ and His bride. Just as Eve came out of Adam, Paul told the Ephesians, you were in Him before anything began. And now, God's purpose is to present you to Him as a chaste bride without spot, without wrinkle, without any blemish." So by quoting Genesis 2.24, basically Paul is saying, Adam represents Christ, Eve represents the bride. It's a clear example of a type or a shadow from the Old Testament many, many centuries ahead of time revealing something about God's eternal purpose. Now, let's talk a little bit more about Adam and Eve. Adam means man. That's what the word means in Hebrew, man. Woman, we already learned, means out of man, from man. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul makes another one of these Wild statements that he had to have received by revelation from the Holy Spirit. What does he say there? Adam is Christ. 1 Corinthians 15. Let's start in verse 44 and we're going to read down to verse 49. 1 Corinthians 15 from 44. He's talking about the resurrection, he's talking about the natural body and the spiritual body that we'll get at resurrection. He finishes this verse, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Next verse. So it is written, where is he quoting from? Genesis 2. So it is written, the first man, Adam, Became a living being. The last Adam. Whoa. Put on the brakes a minute, Paul. Where did we come up with a last Adam? It's a revelation God gave Paul. You'll find it nowhere else. The first Adam is the Adam of Genesis 2. The last Adam is Jesus Christ. He's a life giving spirit. Keep going. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. That's always God's order. Natural first, Genesis 2. Spiritual, Ephesians 5. Adam and Eve, Christ and the church. The last Adam with his Eve. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual... The first man, remember man and Adam are synonymous. The first Adam, the first man, was of the dust of the earth. The second man, or Adam, came from heaven. Hmm. As was the earthly man, or Adam, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, the Adam from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, Adam, so shall we bear the likeness of the man, the Adam, from heaven. Wow. That's a lot. Let me summarize it and try to make it simple. Adam and Eve in Genesis 2, they were very real people. That really happened. They were earthly, they were physical beings. And just the way it describes how they came into being, that's how God did it. Adam was made from the dust, woman was made from marib. We come over into the New Testament in Ephesians 5, Paul says we, the church, the bride of Christ, we were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world, before anything came into being. And just as the first Adam was married in that paradise before any sin had taken place. They were married in that paradise. So there is a last or a second Adam, Jesus Christ, and I would maintain, and I think I'll be able to demonstrate this in a minute, there is a second or a last Eve. First Adam had an Eve. The second Adam has his Eve. Are you ready for this one? Go back to Genesis 2 for a second. Every detail in the story is significant. It says in Genesis 2, verse 21... The Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Deep sleep in the Bible often represents death. If you have eyes to see and a heart to understand, what's happening here is a picture of Calvary. Jesus gave Himself so that He could have a bride. He had to sacrifice His own life. And I'm not taking away from the importance of redemption and salvation from sin, but remember, Genesis 2 is before there's any need for redemption. And we're losing a lot of the profound purpose and mystery of God if we think Jesus died on the cross just to forgive our sins. Now that's a great thing. Praise God that He forgave my sins. That's not all He was doing though. God caused the deep sleep to come upon His Son so that He could bring forth the bride out of Christ. In Him before the creation of the world. But it took the sleep of death. Him laying down His life on Calvary to bring forth The woman, the Eve, the bride of Christ. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place. You know, the rib, I've thought about this a lot lately, the rib cage is a protection around the vital organs, especially the heart. And the ribs are what protect That vulnerable organ, the heart. In other words, when Jesus was laying down His life on the cross, He was making His heart vulnerable to the world. He was laying down His life. And something happened on Calvary that He had never experienced in all of eternity past and will never experience again. The Father forsook Him. The Father turned away. His presence departed from his own son, because he was taking all of our sin upon him. But if you can see here the deep sleep that came upon Adam and the rib being taken out from inside of his bosom, inside of his chest, it's a picture of what Jesus, the last Adam, would do for his bride. Remember, uh, we'll go ahead and put it up, Revelation 13.8 is an amazing scripture. Revelation 13, verse 8. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. How was Jesus slain before Genesis 1? He died about 2,000 years ago, right? But if you're looking at things from an eternal perspective, Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world because that was part of the eternal purpose. You see, God didn't have to go to plan B after Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And he goes... Whoops, they sinned. Messed up my whole plan now. i got to come up with another plan here. No, no. God had an eternal plan. Okay. Jesus was already the Lamb slain before Genesis 1.1. I can't understand that up here, but I can accept it by faith knowing that God is eternal and I'm not. Amen. The woman, Eve... was brought to Adam, and they were joined together in marriage. Now, look at this verse. Paul doesn't come right out and call the church Eve, but I think he does. He definitely called Christ the second or last Adam. And if there's a first Adam and a second Adam, there's a first Eve, there must be a second Eve. Who is she? 2 Corinthians 11 Starting with verse 2. Paul is writing to the believers. He says, I'm jealous for you. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy, not a carnal jealousy. This is a godly jealousy. Why is he so jealous? I promised you. It's it's translated espoused or engaged you. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Very clear. He's referring to the church as Christ's bride here espoused bride, wife to be, if you will. Now, look at the next verse. But I'm afraid that just as Eve, who? Just as Eve. Eve. Where did Eve come from in this discussion? I've espoused you to the second Adam. But I'm afraid now that we're about to get into Genesis 3. I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For me, this eliminates any doubt now. Adam and Eve in Genesis 2 are a clear revelation from God about His eternal purpose. It's to have a wife for His Son a pure virgin without spot, without wrinkle, it resulted from the sleep of death that God Almighty brought upon His Son on the cross of Calvary. Not just to bring redemption, not just to pay for sin and sickness, but to bring forth the woman, Eve, for His Son. A pure devotion to Christ. Now, let's try to tie this up. If you and I are even understanding 10% of this, we're blessed. We're blessed. And I'm not even saying we need to understand it all. But we should be able to accept it as the Word of God. And say, God, I don't, I'm not sure if I understand all of this, but I believe it. Something tells me in my spirit that, that you've done something great here. And there's a plan for me. And there's hope for me. And I'm going to embrace that. And I want to be a part of it. Now, in Revelation 19, Revelation chapter 19, from verse 6 to 9, I heard a voice, I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come. The Lamb slain before the creation of the world, now his wedding has come. The wedding of the Lamb has come, and indeed, he has a bride. His bride has made herself ready. And any of you ladies that have been married or a part of weddings, my God help us, what the preparations are for these things. (sighs) If only we could invest a little bit more of that money and time into getting ready for this wedding. Okay? Because all that passes away. The balloons have all popped now. The cake's all been eaten. It's all over. (laughs) But there is a wedding coming that's forever. Forever. And she prepared. She made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. One more verse. Then the angel said to me, right, Blessed are those who are invited. Blessed are those who are invited. If you're here today or if you're listening to this message today and you sense that God's inviting you, God's calling you to be a part of this, you're blessed because you're in the minority. Most of the inhabitants of the earth don't have a clue what I'm talking about here. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. We read in Ephesians 5, Something about the preparation. And again, if you want to go back there, Ephesians 5.25-27, Jesus gave Himself for her. He gave Himself on the cross to bring this about, but that she might be holy, He might cleanse her with the washing with water through the Word, and to present her to Himself as a radiant, glorious church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Let me finish on this note, and again, there may come a time in the future while I'll expand on this, but let me just give you this to tie the whole package together. Remember. God could not find a match, a mate, a suitable helper for Adam. No one comparable to him. No one who could share his thoughts, his emotions, his very heart and life. He couldn't share his life with an elephant or an orangutan. God needed someone like Adam to marry Adam. God needs to find a people in these last days like Jesus. Suitable for Him. Comparable to Him. Someone who has the same heart as Jesus. Someone who can talk to Jesus and understand when Jesus talks back. Someone that's on the same level. Romans 8. Everybody loves verse 28. All things work together, right? How many houses I've visited in 41 years that had that plaque in the living room? God makes all things work together. That's as far as they go. I used to get on people's nerves. i say, I love that plaque, but there's more to it. <laughs> they left out some very important information. Because you need to get the whole context. And it's powerful, and it's encouraging. Romans 8, 28. We know that in, you know I'm going to do this. Help me, this leech, In all things. What's all things? All things. All things. Flat ties. All things. Birthdays. All things. Death in the family. All things. Sickness. All things. In all things. Amen. We know that in all things, God is at work. That's what you need to get. God is at work in all things. Doesn't mean everything's going well for me. Doesn't mean it's all working in my favor. But hallelujah, the sovereign God is at work today. He's at work in your life. He's at work in my circumstances. We need to recognize that. He works for the good of those who love Him. Who Ah, uh, um who have been called to what? Where have I heard this word again? Purpose. Say it with me. Purpose. Who have been called according to His purpose. What kind of a purpose does God have? What kind? It's eternal. You'll see that in the next verse. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What is God's eternal purpose? It's that you and I would be like Jesus, like his son. Why do we need to be like him? Because we need to be a suitable bride. For the last Adam. Somebody like him. Somebody who enjoys the same things he enjoys. Somebody who has the same passions he has. You know, I've often used this analogy. Suppose I'm about to get married to Shireen. It's the wedding day, and, you know, all the hoopla, the flowers, and, and all that stuff has been done. And you know, I'm up front here with the minister, and the music starts and Shireen starts walking up the aisle. And I'm I'm there, you know, just waiting for my bride. And as she's coming up the aisle, she sees a good looking guy over here. Give <laughs> <laughs> you me your number. Oh Lord, looks over here. <laughs> Nigel <laughs> are you following me here but we do it with Jesus we're a spouse to Jesus and we're looking here boy I like that stuff boy I'm more interested in that stuff than God boy I like that can I marry that can I marry that he wants somebody that loves him He wants somebody like Him. Somebody He can talk to. Somebody He can share His most intimate and profound mysteries with. It's all been predestined. Those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. 1 Corinthians 15.49, we read it earlier. It says, We shall bear the likeness of the man, Adam, from heaven. And now, a couple of my favorite verses, and we're going to close this thing down. 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. You've read these verses before, but maybe they'll help us understand a little bit more why God has predestined us to be like His Son. We, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed. Say transformed. We are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Spirit of God is churning, is moving, is working in our hearts and lives. He keeps knocking off stuff that doesn't belong there because He wants to make us like Jesus, getting us ready for the wedding day. 1 John chapter 3, from verse 1 to 3. 1 John 3, 1 to 3. How great! And really, if you understand anything about this whole message, It will at least bring you to your knees and say, My God, your love is overwhelming. I can't even comprehend this stuff. What you have planned is way beyond me. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That's a good reason to praise God, just because we're children of God. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. But it doesn't stop there. Dear friends, Now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Why do we need to be like Him? We need to be a bride suitable for Him, comparable to Him. When He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Look at the next verse. Everyone who has this hope, Paul prayed for the Ephesians, Lord, open their eyes that they might understand the hope of their calling. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And again, Revelation 21, Revelation 22, what do we find there? We find Christ and his bride. We find a perfect paradise with no sin, no death, no sorrow, a river of life, and a tree of life. And John the Apostle, he had the privilege of being shown the bride. Revelation 21. Revelation chapter 21. You can read it all for homework, but we're just going to pick out three verses. Revelation 21. By the way, if if you ever get discouraged, and I know you probably don't, but I do, (laughs) I like to read the end of the book fairly often just to remind myself this is where we're going. This is what I'm living for. It's not what I've got right now. It's not where I'm at right now. It's where I'm going. It's where God has eternally purpose to take us. Revelation 21, from verse 9. One of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Um, you know, I'm not really interested in that tour. Maybe check back with me later. <laughs> I got other stuff to do now. Are you kidding me? You want to show me the bride? Yes, let's go. Next verse. He carried me away in the Spirit. See, you can only see this stuff in the Spirit. He carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. Coming down out of God. Wait a minute, I thought we were going to see the bride. He didn't say we're going to show you a a city tour. But the holy city, the new Jerusalem, is the bride of Christ. Synonymous. Next verse. It shone with the glory of God. Remember, a glorious, radiant church without spot or wrinkle. It shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. And on and on it goes. We don't have time, but quickly flip over to the final chapter, Revelation 22. Not once, not twice, but three times. In the last chapter of the last book of the Bible... Jesus repeats himself. Now, you've heard me say this before. When God says something once, it's very important. When he repeats it twice, you better write it down. When he says it three times or more, you better put on the brakes and really, really, really pay attention to what he's saying. These are Jesus' final words to us. Revelation 22, verse 7. Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. Verse 12. Verse 12. Where have I heard this before? Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to everyone according to what He has done. Verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. And last but not least, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's all stand. God has a purpose. He didn't have to have a purpose. He could have made us like a bunch of rats and just let us run around on the earth and eat each other, kill each other, build our buildings and our kingdoms, and when we die, we die and it's all over. He didn't do it that way. He made us with a purpose. Yes, Lord. It's a mind-blowing purpose. Profound mystery. Think about this. God wants us to be married to Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? Married to Jesus. Not for a day. That would be pretty amazing. Not just to have a quick tour of heaven. Married to Jesus for the rest of eternity. Lord, whatever i got to go through to be ready for that day, give me the grace. Don't let me turn back. Don't let me disqualify myself from this great high calling. Father, in the name of Jesus, we don't even pretend to understand all that we've read here today. But we know it's the eternal, living Word of God. And we continue to ask You, O God, by Your Holy Spirit, to open our minds, open our hearts, open our eyes, give us revelation of these deep and profound mysteries that, oh God, before the foundation of the world, Jesus was already the Lamb slain. Before the foundation of the world, You had already chosen us in Him. And yet, here we are today, O oh God, November 8th or whatever it is, in time, and You're Bringing all these things together, You're about to complete Your purpose in time to prepare us for eternity. God, help us understand this great high calling. Help us to understand the hope to which You have called us. And Lord, whatever things yet need to be changed and transformed in us, we read how You are transforming us with ever-increasing glory. Keep changing us. Keep working on us, O God, until the work is complete. Because You promised us that the work You began in Christ, it will be completed for that day. God bless each and every one here today. Those listening through the internet. God, I pray that your spirit would quicken these truths to our hearts and minds and spirits, that we can walk with you and see the purpose of God fulfilled in our lives and in our generation. Bless each one now and make us a blessing as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you all.